All right. Welcome, everybody. I am Jonathan Troen. So happy to have you here. We are with Carol Gino today, and I'm so excited about this. Carol and I wound up on this, this call, uh, a Zoom call the other day, where there was supposed to be a, a bunch of people, but it turned out to be Carol, another Carol, and me. And the three of us just spent about an hour together, and I just fell in love with Carol. Um, a few things that she said that, that stuck out to me, um, the, this idea of being uh, safe in an unsafe world. Um, she, said, she said that, and I just said, oh my God, I, I just have to interview this person and learn more about her. Um, she's written a ton of books. Um, she was a nurse. She spent, uh, I don't know, 20 or something years um, with, uh, with, oh no, now his name is escaping me, Mario, Mario. What's Mario's last name? Mario Puzo, the guy Mario who wrote Puzo. The Godfather. The Godfather. I should just start over, I don't know, it's okay. So I had a brain cramp. Um, yeah. the, the creator of The Godfather. So th there's just so much inside of her. I'm like, oh my God, got to uncover this. So welcome, Carol. So happy. Thank you. Happy thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, thank you. Hey, it's a beautiful day here in Texas. And in Texas, let me tell you, very different from New York. In Texas, beautiful in the afternoon. And then a storm comes by like yesterday, hail. <laughs> I don't know, hail all over the place. Hits right? your it's hysterical and stuff. And what, what's really funny is, is that it turns out, I think we live like miles from each other. I know. From different parts of the world, we live miles from each other. We have not met each other because we're in the middle of quarantine. But, right. um, but I think we will once this is all said and done. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. No, I, I love it. I love it here. It's crazy different, but I love it. Um, how to feel safe in an unsafe world. I don't know. You know, I don't even know, like I said to you, uh, I was trying to define myself the other day. Like you talk about, you know, a market and, you know, what people expect and everything. And I thought to myself, what do I really do? And then I thought, what I really love to do, my heart is in healing always, but what I really love is to give voice to the voiceless. I like that as well because I've lived long enough. Don't let anybody tell you we're disposable yet, whether or not we're in, we're, whether or not we're the fragile elderly, we're like a library. You should keep a couple of us around <laughs> because it takes a long time to learn about life, you know? And uh, what I look around and I see what we call the pandemic now, what I hear is there's a threat. But I have a funny belief system, like on the day you're born, the day you die is written in the book. And I had a couple of near-death experiences. So in facing death, I learned to live. That was a big deal. Nursing for me was boot camp for life because then you know what to be afraid of. I had, I think in 86, I had, I spent my life seeking enlightenment, which is 
sort of as somebody once said lately, it's like going to uh, an Italian restaurant and wanting Indian food. I mean, you're here doing a human experience, you know, <laughs> but I prayed for my, and I, I was, I watched Tony Robbins one of the first times he walked on coal in New York at the whole life since I saw Jean Houston when she first talked. So I've been around forever, you know? And in something like, so I studied and studied and studied, but at the same time as I was studying, I was working in hospitals and I was brought up a Catholic. Somewhere along the line, I gave that up because some priest told us when we were little kids that devils could possess little kids. And I thought, oh no, this can't be, this is, that can't be it. I can't be, no, I can't do this. I spent a lot of time being sent out of the room in, in school, causing a lot of chaos by asking a lot of questions. My father told me about um, the birds and the bees in the animal kingdom when I was in like the fourth grade. We started with amoeba and fish and went on to mammals. I thought this was very exciting and creative. So I went and told all the Catholic school kids this and nobody was allowed to talk to me for the rest of the year, you know, so. <laughs> and, but my father also was the one who read me the Harvard classics as a kid from the time I was four. And so I knew a lot about, by the time I was nine years old, I won a contest by the nun had asked me, who is the wisest man you know? Took it straight from Plato, the, <laughs> Socrates. Uh, the wisest man I know is the man who knows he knows nothing. I won for that. <laughs> ah, that I cheated? Well, hey, I told them it was Plato or Socrates, but I guess the fact I remembered it. So I, I want to hear about the voice this though. So giving voice to the voice. Yeah. How, okay. Tell me more about that. Okay. You know, as a nurse, what I can tell you is that I have been doing, I was doing nursing. I don't know that you can ever give it up. It's like being a mom. If somebody falls down next to me in an airport, I'm going to have to do something, right? Because I can't not know what I know. So, and if I have to help, and that's the impetus. So I have to always be a nurse, but whatever that is in, um, I guess what I'm saying about the voiceless is nurses have, for nine years in a row have gotten awards for being the most ethical of professions. But the problem is they don't stand in their power or for their power. And so they're defenseless defenders to the patients even. Because if they decide to start to... Uh, join a union or everything, everybody feels like they're no longer part of the patient. And we're only fighting for patient rights. So 30 years ago, I started talking about nurses, trying to get them to have a voice. But there, you know, the shadow side of the healer is the martyr. So they're a tough group to move because they really care about their patients. So when I see essential workers now as nurses, I think, they need to speak. I did a lot of television with my books. I wrote a book called The Nurse's Story, which is a classic now, and couldn't get anybody to show up because they were all afraid of being fired. 
30 years ago. Now some of them are standing up, but I read something on one of the boards the other day that said, while some of the governors are fighting for hazard pay for grocery workers and stuff, some of the nurses are being asked to take pay cuts. Mm. So, you know, corporate medicine, that's a whole nother deal. So I get up there now because, and I stand for nurses, because they can't afford to stand without it undermining the living that they have to afford for their kids and their families. The voiceless, people with misdiagnosis. I wrote a book called Rusty's Story about a girl with epilepsy who was 13 and they locked her up in a nut house. And I won some kind of national book award from the Epilepsy Association for Rusty's Story. Then in 1986, and this will wind up being how to feel safe <laughs> in an unsafe world. In 1986, my grandson died of sudden infant death. And so often they blame the parents because they can't find a cause and because we need to be able to blame, to find a cause, to feel in control. So then I wrote a book called Then an Angel Came to talk for the angels and for the parents of the kids with SIDS or other sudden or unexplained death, okay? And then I, at that time, an angel really did come. I mean, I used to think it was projection of my own mind. And then I said, we went to uh, my daughter, Terry and I, she was a little hedonist. She never even believed in spirits. She used to say to me, my, you need cement boots because you got to recognize your grandchildren because the baby who died, I was never able to see except for fuzz. Mm. So I thought to myself, oh God, while everybody else was thrilled because he looked like such an angel, I thought, oh no, too many too good kids die on the wards of pediatrics. You know, I never saw this kid as being dense form. So once he died, and there were voices. I said to Terry, do you reckon, she was hearing voices and I said, Terry, do you, under, do you know your kids? Do you know your husband? You know your refrigerator? I said, you know what? The, the diagnosis of crazy is way too broad, you know? And sane is way too narrow. I said, if you recognize what's in your 3D real world, don't worry about it. It's like having computer cards. They're in the background. If you need them, pull them up. That's it. I learned because from the time I was a little kid and I didn't know everybody didn't have this. I always heard voices. I just called them they. They were a great help when I went to work as a nurse. I would hear something. Other people may call it their intuition. I don't know. For me, it took the form of words and they just would say, there's trouble in 322. And I ignored it and I ignored it because I was mad at God while I was working on peds. I wanted nothing to do with mm. God because what he was doing, I didn't even like him. I certainly wasn't going to worship him. Well, when my first, when the first baby I held died in my arms, I ran down to the beach and I started hollering at God like I can't tell you. Of course, then I was suddenly humbled, fell to my knees and said, God, forgive me. This is just a moment. Don't touch my kids. But, and I said, and I'll do anything for you you want, but just don't touch my kids. Forgot to cover the grandkids. 
Life delivers what it delivers. I'm not one of those people who believes that you manifest your own reality. I do believe in your response to what life delivers. You do and can change the way you live to make it far better or far more difficult. Because if you get angry and bitter and you, you hold it against life, people aren't going to want to be around you. You're not going to be able to take all the gifts you've got if you're going to look at only the tragedies in your life and not be able to see the gifts hidden in the tragedies. So ha have you always had that belief that, that um, you know, we're not necessarily in control of, of what happens, but we're in control of our responses? Have you always had that? or Pretty much, pretty much, because I went to Catholic school. So I already knew there was a God and Mary and saints and angels. It wasn't until I had a near-death experience, a stroke or a spiritual emergence or both at once, that my left brain was taken completely. I could not read, could not, didn't even remember the clothes I put on, didn't have a thought in my head. But the clarity of what life was at that time was amazing to me. So and tell, the, tell me about that clarity. What was, what was the clarity of life then? That you okay, that okay. The clarity was like this. Picture a film strip, okay? And they put, I got all my information. Once my left brain went, all my information came in pictures because that's right brain capable. It's collateral, you know? And the picture they showed me was of a merry-go-round. And they took this film strip and they put it around the merry-go-round. And in it, they showed my life just as it was with good moments, bad moments, moments, good moments, bad moments, okay? And then what happened is they took the film strip out and they connected all the bad moments. And they put that and I got to watch that. And I heard a Greek chorus in the background saying, oh, what a terrible life. Oh, what a terrible life. And then they threw it up in the air and they put all the positive moments together. And I said, the Greek chorus said, oh, what a wonderful life. Oh, what a wonderful life. And I thought, whew. They threw it up in the air again, brought it down, and matched every positive moment with one negative moment. And at the end, I could see that my life had reached the perfect balance of every moment in life was a positive and a negative. They threw it up, and a set of hands came out with a whole bunch of confetti or puzzle pieces. They handed it to me, and I heard a voice that said, this is instant karma. This is your life now. Do with it what you wish. Wow. That, the test was not over, though. Then it got hard. <laughs> so, what, what, <laughs> then it got what, hard. What happened then? My left brain was gone. I watched television, and I could see only black and white, and people were talking like they had tongues of wood. I woke up in the morning, and I couldn't read, and I couldn't see. And there was a constant song in my head that I couldn't sing now, but I still have the words to it somewhere. So, so wait, I want. So when, when when you got this vision of the film strips, so there you couldn't actually articulate this then to anybody. This was just. No, no. Yeah. This was just. Oh, then what happened? The following the. 
Oh, God, this was so terrible. That night, once that happened, that night, in the middle of the night, I got up, I felt a poke on my shoulder, and I woke up, and I didn't see anybody around. So I thought, well, I might as well get up and go to the bathroom anyway. And I was staying at Mariel's house that night. And I got up, and I walked past his study into the bathroom, and I was walking on my way to the bathroom, and I see this big masked burglar standing in his doorway. And I'm thinking to myself, a masked burglar in the Godfather's house? Oh, he must be a grade B thug, is the only thing I thought, right? Around his bottom, uh, his legs, I saw a tie cheese circle. So I knew not to step into it. And I looked at the time, and it was three minutes after four. And from some crazy ray chart that the angel gave me. I knew seven was a warrior number. And I'm walking around in Lammy pajamas, right? And I'm thinking a warrior in Lammy pajamas. I thought, oh no. And I looked at him and I thought, what are you doing in that getup? I know you. Okay. With that, he bowed, backed up, closed the door. And I thought, oh no. This is, this is, this has got to be the last, this I thought was, I knew what it was. It was my contemporary test of truth of illusion in contemporary times. And I said, but no, no, this is, the door is closed. There are no closed doors on the path of enlightenment. This has got to be the third scene from The Godfather and I'm in the wrong movie. So I said, Mario, I think there's a burglar in your study. And he said, call the police. And I said, Oh, all right. He said, and then go downstairs and get a knife. And I said, oh, okay. So he's holding the door and I run downstairs to get a knife. I got two knives. I come upstairs, I show him the knives and he's standing there holding the door closed. You know, I thought if he saw this guy, he wouldn't be holding that door because that guy was twice as big as him. And when he looked at the knives, all he did was start to laugh and fall on the floor. He said, you brought two knives? And I said, well, yeah, if they skewer you, I don't want to be left defenseless. By the way, we had to go to the grand jury and tell this. They finally caught him, the, the guy, the burglar, because he was a burglar and a rapist too, and had hit 322 homes. He got 322 years consecutively, not even concomitantly. And I'm praying to my angel saying, look, I didn't say his, I see his face and I don't want negative karma. And they kept saying, just do your part. Just tell how it happened. Now, can you imagine telling a grand jury what I just told you? So okay. wait, but, but when, when you, you, you saw the person, you said, I know you. Did you know I the person? Felt, no, I just felt like I've met other people since then and known them. My soul recognized his soul and knew it. Wow. And I, he just, no, I, not at all. And in fact, he didn't even know he was, it was the Godfather's house because he had taken my Vuitton bag and 
he had taken Mario's suitcase and escaped, ran out the balcony, ran downstairs and dropped it three blocks down. And I only knew it was my Vuitton bag because my red magic marker where I was carrying uh, one day, I, we were on our way to Cannes or on our way to Malibu and it broke and the red ink got all over the bottom of my Vuitton bag. And what he said about that was he bought it at the racetrack from somebody. So every one of the other people that he attacked, because they told me that it was my part to help bring him to justice. And there were other people who needed justice. And Ray Seven, the warrior Ray, was a ray of justice. And I had to, I had to go. So I went to the grand jury. I faced the whole one. I told them my story. And the crazy um, defend his his lawyer said to Mario afterwards, "Did you find a horse's head in your bed?" And then he said to me, "Do you often imagine things?" And I said, "You asked me for my truth. I just told you my truth." Hmm. So, so, so I want. I, that's the burglar after the night where they showed me this is your life you know okay so <laughs> that happens okay then i meet somebody from a past life and i see a whole past life thing and he remembers me i don't remember him bad news okay and it was such a time of crazy for three weeks I had no brain to speak of, and I kept thinking, I remembered, I think, therefore I am. And I said, oh, man, if I can't think, am I not? Mm. But I can tell you that whether you can think or not, you are. Because I was, there was a walk-through spirit who now I call Eva. I know her well now. I knew her before. I just didn't know who she was. And she entered when I had no brain and helped. And I said, oh, no, really? And I never heard what I said at that time. She would move my hands, move my body. And I thought, oh, my God. I always asked if they were from God and if they were for the good of all. Always still do. And I have a good antenna. What happened is I got through that. It took me three months to be able to re to speak as I do now. Before I used to be able to speak in eight syllables at a time, each word. I remembered everything before. I don't. I used to remember something was on the top of page eighty-three, or something like that. No matter when I read the book or whatever. But I've learned to hear and see in different ways you know like in any relationship if you're gonna speak for those who don't have a body now you've got to be able to develop a relationship i used to think it was just a higher aspect of me or another part of my own mind but when they told terry and i to go to maimonides hospital was doing paranormal studies and there was an Indian psychologist, Native American psychologist there, who was doing studies. And the angel who came, whose name was Janeth, um, talked to us and told us stuff that there was no way we could know to ask them to measure the parameters and the atmosphere 
and stuff like that. And out of 500 channeled experiences, Terry's was one of the five legit that they could prove and stuff mm. like that. So we learned a whole bunch of stuff at that time. But to make it more applicable to today, what I want to say is that there, there are angels. You can not see them, but they're there. There are, I was mistaken when I thought that evil was only a projection of your own mind. It isn't. There are energies that are, we would call them evil. Angels would call them stuck. But they're like those funny shadow things that you can see. And you have to have a need for power and a whole lot of things that you don't want to have anyhow. If you, if you say a prayer, you're protected. You're good. Don't search for it. You can ask. And there's always angels there to help and whatever. And the whole books, when I wrote, there's an angel in my computer. She's a funny angel. And there's a yard sale of life. That's Roshanna. She's good. But Eva came through, helped me at that time, and explained without, without me having a left brain. She explained to me everything that was going on so that I was not lost. And another thing I saw at that time that I think is helpful for people is I was meditating and suddenly I watched everything turn to energy, just energy, including my hands and everything else. I got so scared. I got up and threw water all over my face and still I could see it was just energy. I sat on the couch and I looked out the window I saved that. I'll show it to you uh, later. And I looked out the window and I could see my hands and the house across the street and the trees were all made of the same stuff. They were all made of godly consciousness. And I suddenly got the thought, oh, wow. Hmm. Then all art is self-portrait. A song is God's voice. So A word is God's word. So let me ask you, so when you say safe in an unsafe world, is the safe ab about the knowledge and understanding and acceptance of that there are these other entities, powers, beings, angels? Beings. Entities, entities don't necessarily, are not necessarily of the light, but angels and spirits of light are of the light. And you ask them if they're from God. That's part of it. The other part of it is I sat, with so many dying people. I was with people who died all the time. I was the nurse that was there. I was the nurse that they allowed to share their dying with. I was able to know death as a promise, not only as a threat when people have suffered so much. And I was there to cry over the people who looked like they were in such intense suffering. And we used to bring them back, you know, defibrillate them, bring them back. And I was the one they chose to tell about their near-death experiences. And every one of them told me that they were out of body while their bodies were suffering. They weren't suffering. They had already ejected. Consciousness ejects. Mm -hmm. uh, in my own experience, that also happened. So that, so wait, and so if you listen what, to what them now. Say? I have to stop you because I'm really curious. I want to, yeah, so what, go what, ahead. Do you, what do you see when you're out there? Okay, I felt like Heidi on a mountaintop, okay? The, I could see 360 degrees. I still felt like I, 
but I felt like the smaller I of Carol, I, and also the I am. I didn't feel lonely and the voice of comfort spoke to me. That's all I can call it. And I knew everything was perfect. No matter how it looked, I knew everything was perfect. And the best part, and I might get choky about this because it's been since 86 and it still affects me in the same way. There was a Jewish doctor who was a pediatrician who was hidden by an upper echelon German woman in, during the Nazi times. And she hid him for six years while his, his daughter and his first wife were gassed in Auschwitz. And I went to take care of him as private duty in the hospital he owned once he brought his second wife, Edith, over. His name was Kurt, Kurt Hirschfeld. And he was the best doctor I ever met. I took care of him. He had cancer and he had fired 20 nurses before I got there. And when I walked into the room, I looked at him and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm here to help you. What are you doing here? I'm doing the same thing you are. He said, all right. He said, then we'll do it together. And I said, okay. I took care of him for 19 days before I had to take a day off. They wouldn't let me work anymore. And when I left, he was conscious, he was okay. And he said, I want you to promise me something. And I said, what? And he said, promise me that you won't let them bring me back. Promise me that you won't leave Edith with a burden. I only wanted to make, build something that made the Taj Mahal look small to her. Don't leave her with a burden. Promise me that. And I said, okay. I was off for three days because it was the 4th of July weekend. And something happened with the kids that morning. So instead of getting there at seven, I got there at nine. And when I got a report from the night nurse, she said, he's been in a deep coma for three days. She said, so he's non-responsive to anything. She said, so you can see him and everything. It was before they had do not resuscitate orders and stuff. So I went into the room, I sat on the bed and I held his hand and I said, Kurt, it's Carol, I'm back. And he opened his eyes and he said, you're late, Carol. And he closed them and stopped breathing. At that point, a, a supervisor was going past and saw him and came in and went like this to raise her arm to come down on his chest. And I said, oh, don't make me hit you. Don't make me hit you. She said to me, I will have your license for this. I said, I know, but he's got my promise. Take what you want. When I was up in the clouds and the voice in conflict talked to me and I knew everything was perfect, suddenly through the clouds, Kurt came with his, a stethoscope around his neck and he had... A, a chart with doctor's orders and he drew pictures of what I should take and what I shouldn't. He walked me back to life because I allowed death. I allowed him to go to death. So my experience helps me know it's not a dream. It's not a, and if it's a way that's built in by God to help us pass or make a transition, 
even that would be good enough. But Kurt walked me back to life. Took me three more months where the angels and my other friends had a body because I made everybody who died promise me <laughs> that they tell me. Only Mario, when I said to him, promise me you'll tell me. And he said, no. I said, why no? And he said, you'll wreck the surprise. Because <laughs> he didn't believe in it. He didn't believe in any of this except he said to me, I can't believe you believe all that crazy stuff. And yet you're the most confident, confident human I know. How does that work? And I said, because I have no fear about that stuff. So right now, what I feel is that there's a threat there. I won't say I couldn't get COVID or anybody I love couldn't. I don't know what life has written. But I do know that I had lung cancer. I had a near-death experience. I had that brain blitz then, and part of my brain went. And then I had lung cancer, and they took part of my lung, and that was in 2001. And then I had a stroke in 2018. Took me two and a half years to, to learn to walk again. And every penguin is going to fall in love with me because I can tell you I can't walk like a ballerina, but I can walk. Um, and I just know that there's more. I, I met somebody's grandfather from Serbia who died before I ever met the kid who wound up being my editor in Serbia. And the, the, he's dark and he looks, he looks dark. He looks like he's from Serbia. It's funny. His grandfather showed up in my living room and I said, who are you? Are you from God? He said, yes, I'm from the light. And I said, who are you? He had blue, blue eyes. He said, I'm grandfather. I wrote to this kid three weeks after I had chose him as winning a contest because he wrote just like me. I couldn't tell the difference. And I said, what color was your, were your grandfather's eyes? Because he had blue, blue eyes and light. He was light. And I I wrote to the guy, the, my editor's name is Dushan, and he's become, their whole family has become mine too. And I said to him, I, I saw someone who said they were grandfather. What color were your grandfather's eyes? And he said, there were two significant, two significant things about my grandfather. He said, number one, he had light, light eyes. And number two, he was the most generous person I know. And that's why he showed up in your living room. He said, I know that. He said, by the way, I knew you were coming. I just didn't know it would be you. Wow. So my but, whole life. So I, well, I want to ask you, so you've had all these, these death, near death for you, but death with, with others and, and witnessing. Um, so what's your relationship with death now? Do you fear death? Do you look forward to death because there's a beauty there? Is there just a whateverness to it? Like, what's your relationship with it? Well, what it has done for me is I don't usually miss people. Like other people who you love, you miss them. I miss them like they've moved to a different state, which is funny because they have moved to a different state. They have. <laughs> but, that's, but they are so funny. The thing about spirits of light is somehow they don't scare you when they show up. What scares you is the idea 
that people have told you people who hear voices all along are crazy, except indigenous people who know that they could be visions, you know? So if we begin to own all of who we are, if we realize how much more there is, you know, we say we're spirit, soul, and body, and then we act like we're only body or body-mind. So, I'm not, go ahead. Uh, so how does someone, like me, I have not had a near-death experience. Um, it's not a goal of mine necessarily to have a near-death experience. I guess if it happened, there's peacefulness. So I'm not necessarily afraid of it. But so how do I connect to the, these beings of, of light? Okay, you number one, you say your prayers in whatever fashion your prayer is. And then you see, and then you say, I'll only accept, I will not accept evil. I, I am from the light. God is my protector. Nothing that is not from him will enter while I'm in flight, whether you're meditating or whatever else. A prayer of whatever fashion you say it. That's what I say. Then I just color, cover myself with red for protection, whatever that does, it's energy. And then I ask for something that is good for me and is good for all. I say, may I please have something or can you help me with this? And can I be of use? to all, help me reach my potential and help that be for the good of all. And probably they needed somebody with good public relations now, somebody, somebody who wouldn't shut up, you know, and who would say it no matter what. In every one of my books that are very grounded and I can be very rational, but spirit and my friends without bodies are as much a part of my life I'm never alone. I know I'm never alone. Um, I know that if I ask how you do it, check how, how, how that higher self that's yours contacts you. Does it do it in pictures? Does it do it in feeling? Does it do it in sound? Does it feel in intuition? You've had moments where you knew things were right and you overrode the with your rational mind. That was your higher self. That was your spirit saying, take a look, you've got free will, you've got choice, but trust your heart. You know, entities, masters of illusion, let's call them, can play with your mind. They can't play with your heart. Your heart tells the truth. So every time you get that feeling in your gut or you get that picture or you have that hesitation and stuff like that ask yourself is this coming from love or is it coming from fear and make a choice for courage make a choice for you remember whoever created all of us created you as an original therefore you have original communications you have original gifts when my one once asked what my gift was, they said, the way you see things. And that, and I asked them one time after they had done wonderful things, because I was desperate. Once my grandson died, and I was so worried about my daughter and everything like that, I said, please, God, I need help so bad at this time. Please send me an angel. And I can tell you, angels from the light don't know walls or ceilings. This was a bigger than a mountain angel. 
and <clears throat> took my breath away. When I said to Terry, look, look, Janice's there. She said, no, if I look, I'll be too frightened. She said, I won't be able to do that. And I said to her, wow. And she, when Eva, I was talking to her one time and she said, uh, Terry, who is my daughter said to me, I saw the exorcist. I don't want to let her, I don't like to share my room. I don't want to share my body. And I said, oh, come on. Does your television, is, is your broadcaster in your television? Our brain is only 20% used, if that much. The rest isn't styrofoam. We can all do this. We have to develop the more of ourselves. We're so much more than we know. And that more is there for us to access. And hopefully my new world, <laughs> the next step in our development for true humanity is to become whole. Know yourself, know your guides, know those, hey, you don't let, you use your mind too as far as would you take advice from a friend who you know the advice wasn't bad, wasn't good? No. You hear a voice that's not good, like a critic. They don't, spirits of light don't talk to you in critical voices. Like, small story, quick. This will help it more than anything else. I said one time, are you perfect? I said, you're supposed to be perfect. She said, no, if I were perfect, you wouldn't be an incarnation. <laughs> so I said, oh, right. She said, I said, you know how scary it is to be guided by someone who isn't perfect? She says, you know how scary it is to be guiding someone who isn't perfect? <laughs> and so she said, spirits of light, she says, don't have emotions, but they do have common senses. And so I said, oh, and we were walking through the yard. She, I, I see visions. I get visions. And because I prayed as a little kid to be like Bernadette and to, or be like to see Our Lady of Fatima. Instead, they send me Roshanna, who takes me to a cosmic yard sale, the yard sale of life. And then she says things to me like she dresses like an angel because she says that makes, it's my metaphor. It makes me feel safe. So she comes to me in something that looks safe, a little wrinkled, a little disheveled. And she walked me past one time, you'll laugh about this, uh, something called the Museum of Suffering. And it looked like one of the big uh, museums in the city, you know, New York City. She said, you want to see the Museum of Suffering, Human Suffering? And I said, no, why would I want to see that if you're my spirit of joy and creativity? And she said, no, you should, you should see it. I said, I don't want to see human suffering. I'm, I'm picturing the Holocaust or wars or whatever. She said, come on, let me show you. I said, okay, trust, trust, trust. So I walk up the stairs. We get in here. Suddenly I see something that says the Hall of Knots. And in it, I see a whole bunch of acrylic blocks. And it, they're like sculptures, all in different ways. And in each of them, there's knots. And I said, what is this? She says, it's the hall of human suffering. And I said, what do you mean? It says hall of knots. She says, well, that's what it is. Human suffering is human knots. I said, are you saying K-N-O-T-S or N-O-T-S? And she said, either. She said, did you ever take a chain and try to pull it? She says, what you resist just tightens the knot. She says, you sort of have to sort of just be gentle with it. 
She says, just accept it. Resisting it. She says, life has pain. Life is painful. But you don't have to have suffering. You have suffering with the knots. So now every time I feel suffering, I think, where's my knot? Or not. Hmm. You know? And that's the kind of stuff I'm telling you is helpful for humans, you know? So do like are there angels surrounding me right now are they around us at all times or do i have yes. to call upon them like, yes yes so they they don't interrupt with destiny you have to ask your guardian angel is always there you can't like right do there 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 yeah, wherever or there it doesn't matter there remember i told you the picture about the hand that was energy mm-hmm Yes. And so were the trees, and so was the house, and so are angels. We're all it. We separate ourselves into different aspects of self. All we have to do is learn to embrace, the same as you learn to embrace your shadow, learn to embrace your life. And understand that being human is just being human. It's an experience. Play it out, man. How many mistakes are you going to make? You can't. They get information from us. That's what we have to offer them. I asked Janice one time, what can I do for you? You've done so, from, so much for us. And she said, make me real, Carol. And I said, like Pinocchio, you're real. And she is very, very real. My daughter, who she first came to, uh, has opened uh, a special sobriety uh, recovery center where she takes everybody and she's built it on donation only she has 65 people in smithville now and they've just opened up another place in um san antonio called serenity star comfort cafe and those kids there let me tell you when you i was searching to try to answer that what do you do thing and one of their little kids, one of their beautiful babies, um, just got sick again. And I remembered what it was like for me when I was working on the wards of the pediatrics. And no matter what medicine they gave, no matter how exhausted their parents, these kids cried and cried until I picked them up and I started to tell them stories. And what stories I told them were, oh, do you remember when Hansel and Gretel fell down the hill? And they'd say, no, that was Jack and Jill. And I'd say, and remember when the wolf was in bed and the grandmother was throwing the kids in the oven? And they'd say, no, no, that's all wrong. What I did for healing for those kids was I told them stories. What I do for all of us when we're afraid is I tell stories. And those stories are true stories because I realized when I was writing my book, and they decided that it had to be nonfiction, but it couldn't be nonfiction because I was telling the truth and they would be sued. So they'd have to call it fiction. I understood that you could only tell the truth in fiction. And when you call it nonfiction, you have to alter the truth for wow. people. So my stuff is all truth. Do you have a book you're working on now? Yeah, it's called How to Feel Safe in an Unsafe World. <laughs> yes. And is it about the angels? 
it's about the angels as well. And it's about my trip to Serbia after I had a stroke, because I knew once I had the stroke, if I was afraid to do anything, I would be afraid forever. So I had to say, I said to my doctors uh, six months after I had the stroke, hey, can I fly to Serbia? I've never been there, but I want to see who, we were getting so much negative propaganda here and I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to meet people. And I wanted to meet these people that grandfather who was in my living room told me to go see. So I did it. I went, I asked the doctors, I said, can I go to Serbia? And they said, do you care if you die in Serbia or the U.S.? I said, nope. And they said, then have fun, go to Serbia. And I went to Serbia. They were the best people. I had the best time. And th they are family. They are family to me. There's nobody I care about more. They are my family as well, you know? So once we reach each other, once we know, we're separated by ideas, not by who we are. We are all of the same stuff. There is no other. And as soon as we know that, hey, we know that, you know? The funny part of when I bumped into the burglar, he had a mask. He was all dressed in black. I could only see his eyes. And he was holding one of those big um, flashlights that he could have easily hit me on the head with. I saw him and I started to laugh and thought, what are you doing in that getup? When I went to the grand jury and when we went to court, when we finally had to have the court thing, he was at the table writing on yellow pads. I looked at him. And he was very serious looking and everything. And I couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't stop giggling. And I thought to myself, it is all, you know, when they say it's illusion on earth, John, it's both truth and illusion at once. We are all fine. We are all safe. We are all one. And because the source or God or whoever created us and felt a tremendous impulse to give he created other so we could practice relationship mm, wow. but we are all one and other wow well honestly i have so much more i i want to ask you but but i have to go talk to my angels <laughs> so, yes do it so, do it um, i'm here for you i am here for you so uh but before before we go we we've gone through so much in this conversation if there if there's one piece uh, of advice or the big takeaway that someone could take from this what what do you want someone to walk away with live every day as though it were your last and as though you would only live one life one day and be only you Beautiful. Thank you. And how can people learn more about you? Where, where do we find you? CarolGino.com. That's it. Go to my website. I'm all over Facebook. Carol Gino, author, hopeful healer, um, whatever. They can write to any place they'll find me. All right. So CarolGino.com. And, and I don't know, I have so much more to ask. So maybe I'll just- We'll talk. We'll barter. When the book comes out, I'll definitely interview you again. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, thank you so much. You're awesome. Everybody who's watching, thank you so much. And we yes. will see you next time. Yes. Bye. Mwah. Mwah.
Okay.
give that love to yourself too. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is, I can feel that message so important, especially now in these times. And thank you for taking the time uh, with me, with all of us. And I'm looking forward to much more. Thank you. Thank you. Much love, guys. Okay. Bye, Jonathan. Bye. Bye.